My family and I enjoy playing a game called Telestrations, and they are not a sponsor of this message or of this service, but I encourage you to play the game because it's a lot of fun. And uh, just to summarize it, if you've never played, this game is, uh, it has like little dry erase booklets. You draw a card, everybody around the table draws a card. On each card is a different thing you're supposed to draw. You draw it on the dry erase thing. You pass it to the person next to you. That person tries to guess what you drew. Then they pass it to the next person, and that person draws what the person before them guessed. And so basically, it makes it all the way around the table, either with the, the thing that you originally tried to draw or something very different, okay? And it's a lot of fun. Everybody in my family can draw, except me. My drawings are terrible. They are epically bad. They make those cave things look like high art. And it's part of the fun. Part of the fun of the game is making fun of my terrible attempts to draw. We were playing this game last week as a family, And I told my kids a sad truth. And that is that when I was a kid, I took art classes. Now, I'm not saying I took art classes in school. I'm saying my parents signed me up for community education art classes. I went on Saturday and my parents paid money for artists to try to teach me how to do art. And I learned some things. I learned how to draw from a perspective. I remember drawing a mug from a three-dimensional perspective And so I learned something from it, but I retained none of it. What the thing that I learned in our class did not affect my life. I did not become an artist. And the truth of the matter is, this has happened to me multiple times in my life. I've taken classes in art, taken bowling lessons, computer programming classes, and Lessons in piano, trumpet, and viola. And I can't do any of those things very well. If I dug out my trumpet, if I could find it in the basement, and I practiced, I would be able to play it a little bit. The rest of the stuff, including the bowling, I'm not very good at. And I'll bet in your life, in your experience, there's probably something like this. Because this is a common human truth that we can learn things as as human beings without actually changing our lives. It's one thing to take an art class. It's another thing to become an artist. If you take an art class and become an artist, it's changed your life. But we as human beings, we learn things all the time. We learn things in classes. We learn things from friends. We learn things on the internet. And often those things don't really change us. And because we don't put them into practice in our life in a way that changes us, we, we forget them. We lose them. It's as if we never took those classes or learned those lessons in the first place. And this can happen to us as Christians, too. The Christian church is a place that pours forth knowledge. In our particular church, we try to make it one of our distinctives to teach the Word of God, and not only to teach the Word of God, but to teach how you can study the Word of God for yourself meaningfully. And so therefore, we always have, we often have services, of course, but classes and small groups and stuff that will pour the Word of God into your life. And that means you may learn a lot 
about the Bible, about the Christian life. And yet, it's possible to learn a lot about the Bible and about the Christian life without really changing on the inside. At the end of my last message in this series, we ended with James chapter 1, verse 21. I want to show you that verse again because today's passage leads right from that into uh, the paragraph for today. And so in James chapter 1, verse 21, James said, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. This was the conclusion of the previous sort of subparagraph in this long section at the end of James chapter 1 that James has been teaching. And he urged the people to receive God's word because God's word is what saves us. It saves us in justification. But it also works out our salvation through sanctification. So we need to receive the word of God. Now, in this message, beginning in verse 22 of our passage, James is going to spell out for us what this means to receive the word planted in you, which can can save you. And today's message is going to develop that truth. It's going to give us um, more information about what this actually means. Because the truth is we can learn things without actually changing in response to those things. But God is not satisfied with that. God calls us. God commands us to change as we learn his word. God calls us to change as we learn his word. And that's because God gave us his word in part to change us with it. Now, I say that in part because I think it's really important that we understand. The main point of God's written word, his revelation, is to reveal himself. Without the word of God, We would know that God exists, the Bible says. We would see it through creation, but we would not know anything about him. We would not know about his eternality and his holiness and his love and his grace and all of those things. The written word is given to us to reveal God to us. That's the main purpose of it. But the secondary purpose, and they're they're related, is that God gave us his written word to change us with it. And the truth of the matter is, The Bible says we can't even receive the word of God without being changed first. It takes the act of God, the work of God in repentance before we receive the grace of God in salvation. We need what's called illumination to reveal or to take away from our our blind eyes and our hostility to the truth of God's word. And so God's word is written to reveal himself to us, but very closely related to that is also to change us, to change us through salvation, but then to change us also to become more like Jesus Christ. And in our passage for this morning, James is going to begin showing us how the word of God can change us. We begin in verse 22, where the scripture says this, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. This verse contains what I would call a compound command. And that compound command is in the phrase do not and do. They work together. 
On one hand, we are not to merely listen to the word. We're not to simply take in the information. We're not to act as if it's somehow, you know, entertainment or just interesting stuff. No, the Bible says we are not merely to listen to the word of God, but we are to do what it says. This underlines the life-changing power and the life-changing necessity and the life-changing goal that God had for giving us his word. And the way that this is written in our NIV translation, I think is is a fair way of summarizing what James is saying. But if we crack beneath the surface a little bit and look a little bit more deeply at the grammar we'll see that what James says is is even stronger than just do what the word says. And so I want to compare and actually show you another translation, the ESV, and and you can see what I'm saying somewhat in the ESV. So we have our NIV there on the one side, and here in the ESV translation, the Bible says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. That's a little bit better of a translation. Because, see, the word be signals a change in character, not merely a change in action. And I think that's what James is getting at. I think that's what he's drawing out for us. He's telling us that God gave us his word, which can save us. That's verse 21. And in verse 22, he's saying, and let God's word change you. Have it transform you. Let it make you into a new person. Let it form your character in a new way. And in fact, it's even stronger than what the ESV translated it. You could translate it. This is, bad, this is bad English, so we don't do this, but it could be translated. Keep being or be being doers of the word. There's a continual aspect of it that's described in this passage. And as I said, what you are, who you be, if I can use bad English that way, talks about your character. And God's word goes to work on our character. It changes who we are. There's a difference, of course, between running and being a runner, right? Anybody who has healthy legs can run. That doesn't make you a runner. A runner, as you know, is someone who runs on a regular basis and might sign up for a race and might buy gear that runners wear. It becomes part of their identity. When James says, be doers of the word, that's what he's getting at. He's saying, don't just put some random commands of God's word into practice. Let it change your character. Let it form you and make something new out of you. That's what he means when he says to be doers of the word, to keep being, to keep becoming, to be changed. And so as James describes here why God gave us the word, this is the point of it. This is the purpose. God planted his word into us, which can save us. But James says, don't just know what it says. Work it out in your life. Let it change you and and, and let that change be seen in the daily acts that you do in your life. That's the point of the passage. There's a part that we skipped over in verse 22, and that's the part I want to come to for this moment. God gave us his word in part to change us. But it doesn't always happen. We're not automatically changed by receiving the word. And so James is going to tell us in in these next few verses that we fool ourselves if we don't change when we learn God's word. We fool ourselves if we don't change when we learn God's word. And that's the part that I skipped 
in this verse where it says, and so deceive yourselves. If you learn God's word, but you don't become a doer of it, it doesn't change your character. It's not seen in your actions because you've been molded and shaped by it. Then that means you've been fooled by yourself. You've believed something is true that is not true. You've accepted an idea and told yourself a story that the reality of your life does not play out. And the word deceive here is an unusual word for deceive in the Greek language. It's a word that emphasizes self-deception and and using words sort of, we might say in modern language, self-talk to deceive yourself. And so James is telling us that we have this tendency, or there's at least a temptation for us as Christians to think that simply knowing more scripture and knowing more about God automatically means holiness has improved in our life, automatically means that growth has taken place in the Christian life. We talk ourselves into thinking that we are spiritual people, that we're stronger in our walk with God, just because we know some things that we didn't know a year ago or five years ago or 10 years ago. But the truth of the matter is, if we aren't becoming people who practice the word of God, then we've just fooled ourselves. We've convinced ourselves that something is true that is not true in reality. Now, in verses 23 and 24, James describes what it means to fool yourself, what what he's talking about when he says, you're deceiving yourself if you hear the word, but don't do it. And so let's look at those verses together. James describes for us, beginning in verse 23, what it means to deceive yourself. He He says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. Hopefully something that happened to each of us this morning. But it goes on in verse 24 and says this, And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. This is an analogy. And it's an analogy designed to show us the the folly, the self-deception that happens when we know more truth, when we receive God's word in our heads, but it doesn't change us so that our lives change accordingly and we act differently. And the analogy, of course, is a very simple one. It's a very common one. Every day, I hope, we look into a mirror. And the mirror reveals to us some things that are reality. They reveal to us some blemishes on our skin that maybe weren't there yesterday. They reveal to us maybe that we have some food stuck in our teeth. They reveal to us maybe a new gray hair or a new wrinkle that we never noticed before. We look in the mirror so that we can have some confidence when we go out into the world that the face we present to the world is the best face we've got, that we put our best image forward. James is saying, if you hear God's word, it's going to show you what you're really like. It's going to reveal your sins. It's going to reveal the areas of obedience to the Lord that you haven't followed. It's going to reveal what you really are. But if you don't change in in accordance with that, if you don't change because of what God's word reveals to you, then it's just like someone who looks in the mirror and they see that their hair is a mess because they've got bedhead. 
and that yesterday's lasagna is still stuck in their teeth, and that there's a spot on my shirt that I didn't notice before, and that there's all these things that need correcting. That person looks in the mirror, sees all the problems, and walks away thinking they look like a million bucks. If that happened, you would think, boy, that guy's self-deluded. He's seen what's wrong, but he hasn't made any changes accordingly. The Bible says when you and I hear God's word, when we listen to God's word taught, and it shows us our sins or it shows us areas of obedience we haven't taken up as Christians, if we walk away from it and congratulate ourselves on being good Christians because we read the Bible today, we feel good about our walk with God because we actually showed up to church on time and participated in the service and didn't play among us the whole time or whatever. If we walk out of the service because we simply heard the word of God, but we don't actually change according to what the Bible says. The Bible says we're fooling ourselves. If we know that gossip is a sin, but the minute we get some juicy information, we start texting friends to spread it along. We're fooling ourselves. If we know that materialism is a temptation, but we've got to have those $500 sneakers, and it never crosses our mind that maybe our priorities are in the wrong place, then we're hearers of the word. We might think we're spiritual. We might think we're growing in our faith, but God's word says we're actually self-deceived. And this is very heavy truth. Because you and I know that God is perfect and his perfections are revealed over and over again in the scriptures. And his commands are given to us and they're very specific. And they touch us in many ways. And when we read the word of God, if we really pay attention to what it's saying and think about how far short we fall in terms of modeling the perfections of Jesus Christ and living out a kind of Christ-like life. That can be really discouraging and really deflating. And so I'm glad that the next verse that we come to actually reveals some hope. The next verse in this passage moves us forward and gives us some way, a way out of this kind of self-deception. It helps us to understand that, that though God calls us to change as we learn his word, that God is going to do something to help us change. And that is, he's going to bless us in accordance with it. The next thing we're going to see in this passage in verse 25 is that God will bless us when we obey his word and change our lives. That's the promise. Look at verse 25 with me, where the scripture says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Did you see this word? Blessed. It's a word that describes the benefits that God brings into a person's life that only God can bring into a person's life. And this verse says, whoever does this, they will be blessed. Do you want the blessing of God in your life? Here's the formula for it. Now, the Bible is not a book of 
that, no, that normally is like a cookbook. A cookbook tells you exactly what ingredients you need and what order to put them in. The Bible doesn't have that kind of cookbook mentality most of the time. This verse, verse 25, is about as close as we come to actually getting some really specific step-by-step instructions for getting from where we are, self-deceived, to where we want to be, blessed, because we've been changed by the word of God. And so this verse, verse 25, is just packed with truth, and there's a very specific order to it that will help us to move from being self-deceived to becoming people who actually are being and doing the word of God in our lives. The first thing James tells us in terms of instructions in this passage is this, that we need to look intentionally into God's word. We need to look intentionally into God's word. Look at verse 25 with me again. Where the scripture says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. That's the first instruction. Look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. And there's a lot packed into this phrase. First of all, the word, the phrase that's translated looks intently is actually a different word than the word translated looks in verses 23 and 24, talking about the person who looks in the mirror. James changes terminology here. And it may just be a stylistic change in terminology. It's not completely Sure, but the word that he uses here is an interesting one. It's one that has the idea of bending at the waist to look. It's one thing to look in the mirror and say, is that a new gray hair over there? It's another to really kind of bend over the sink and get as close a good look as you can. That's the word that James uses here. He's talking about someone who looks very, very carefully, not at the mirror, but instead in the mirror of God's word. It's talking about a very intentional kind of look. A person who chooses to look at God's word, not to check off a box that I've read the word today, and so what a good Christian I am. But he looks at it to say, God, show me who you are and show me what I need in order to grow and become more like who you are. That's intention. It's the difference between watching the flight attendants tell you how to access all the safety features of the plane at the beginning of the flight. Nobody cares. Nobody listens, right? But if the plane were going down and they started giving those instructions again, you would look intently. That's the kind of look that James is describing here. It's an intention to come to God's word and say, God, change me. Show me what I need to know. Conform me to your truth. Do you intentionally look at God's word, even if you have a daily habit of reading it? Do you just read it to check off the box? Or do you actually come to it with an intention saying, Lord, show me something today. Show me something about you. Or how you work in a way that I haven't seen before. Show me something about myself. Show me an area where I'm omitting obedience to your word or an area where I'm committing sin against you. That's the kind of look that James describes for us. That's the way that he tells us we can move from being fooled by ourselves to actually becoming like Jesus Christ. God will bless us when we obey his word and change our lives, but it starts with an intentional look 
into God's word. Secondly, James is going to tell us that we need to look regularly into God's word. We need to look regularly into God's word. Again, in this, this phrase that's packed with so much, he says, let's, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, and continues in it. That means does it on a regular basis. Unlike so many Christians who never pick up their Bibles during the week or occasionally if enough days have passed and enough guilt has accumulated, they might pick it up and just open it at random and read a verse. This describes someone who reads God's word on a regular basis. Someone who soaks in it and thinks about what it means. Someone who doesn't just come to church once or twice a month, but someone who comes regularly to the worship services and to the classes that we teach and to the, the uh, small groups that we offer because they, they want to be changed by the word of God. Someone who is hungry for the word can't get enough of it. They want regular exposure to it. If you want to grow in your Christian life, if you want to learn to put the word into practice in your life, you need regular exposure to the word of God. Now I skipped over couple of important phrases, so I want to come back to them. They're still in that same phrase, looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. And I want to talk for a minute about what James is saying here. First of all, let's talk about this phrase, the perfect law. When you and I think of God's law, or we hear the word law in a biblical context, we think about Moses. We think about like the Ten Commandments, or we think about the first five books of the Old Testament. And that's not wrong. James, as we remember from James chapter 1, verse 1, was a Jewish man writing to Jewish Christians. And so that's what they had. They had the Old Testament, a big portion of which was the law of God. And the topic of the law in James is a big subject. We'll come back to it in another message, I'm sure. But for the moment, I think the point here is not to say, well, is James thinking only of Moses, or is he thinking of all of the Old Testament? Jewish people tended to refer to all of God's written word as the law, and that's the point, I think, here. Remember, God revealed his word in written form, but also orally through prophets and sometimes through angels. When James here refers to the law, I think he's using the most specific word to refer to the written truth of God's word, because that's what we have access to. He's telling us if we want to grow in our faith, we don't need revelations from angels and so on. We need to look at what God has given to us, what God has given to all of us. We need to look at the written word. And notice how he describes this written word. And it's so interesting because, again, these are not concepts that we tend to put together. He calls it the law that gives freedom. That seems like an oxymoron to us, doesn't it? Normally we think of the law that restricts us. The law keeps us from exercising our freedom. But not always. In many instances, it's actually the law that enables us to be free. If you think about it in terms of the freeway, there are a lot of laws governing the freeway. There are laws about the speed you can go. There are signs that tell you things. There are laws about when you can pass. you got to drive on the, pro- the proper side and so on. Those are laws they restrict, but they give freedom because... If there was no freeway and no laws, and we had to forge a path on our own, 
we wouldn't have the freedom. It would take forever, right? And then we would have to dodge other cars and other animals, and it would be a mess, right? And so the laws, the restrictions, what's built in there gives us the freedom to go places and to go there quickly. Although God's law does put some barriers around our lives, it tells us what is and is not acceptable in the sight of God. That doesn't burden us. It frees us. It frees us from sin because it shows us the way of righteousness. It teaches us in specifics what it means to be followers of a holy God. And so if you're going to grow in your faith, if you're going to become a real Christian who does the word, not one who just knows about it, you need to first look intently, intentionally into God's word. Secondly, look regularly into God's word. Third, you need to obey what you learn. From, learning, from looking into God's word. You need to obey what you learn from looking into God's word. That comes from this phrase, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. See, James isn't telling us knowledge is bad. Knowledge is great. We need knowledge to grow in our faith. In fact, maybe one of the biggest problems for American evangelicals is that we don't know God's word well enough. Knowledge is important. That's why I teach you the Bible verse by verse, phrase by phrase. That's why we have classes. Knowledge is great. The problem isn't knowledge. The problem is knowledge that's not practiced. The problem is knowledge that doesn't change us. You and I need to intentionally look at God's word. We need to do it regularly. But then we also need to make, take steps to do what it says. That means rooting out of our lives, the sins that the Bible addresses. When you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit about a sin that you've, you're committing on a regular basis, whether it's here in our Sunday worship service or in your own Bible reading, a doer of God's word says, I'm going to address that. You'll figure out a way. You'll, you'll take up a, a path of intentionality toward removing that sin from your life. Or if you see good things in the scripture, the scripture tells us to witness for Christ. It tells us to be generous with what we have. It tells us to fellowship with one another and so on. And if you're not doing those things, being a doer of the word means thinking about how to do that in your life, how to put that into practice in your life. Now in James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, which we'll come to next Sunday, James is going to give us some very specific ways to be doers of the word in our life. So we'll come back to that that back to that next Sunday. But the principle that we need to get here, the main point is that if you're going to grow in your faith and if you're going to stop deceiving yourself, thinking you've grown just because you've learned, you need to look at God's word intentionally. You need to look at it regularly. And then you need to figure out how to put it into practice in your life. These are the steps that God gives for everyone who knows Jesus Christ for everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. These are the steps that God gives. But the verse ends with the payoff. It ends with the promise. It tells us what will happen if we believe these things and do these steps. And that is this. The result will be God's blessing on your life. Remember again, at the end of verse 25, James says, they will be blessed in what they do. Now, James doesn't go into detail in what, into what that blessing means, and so I'm not going to either. 
Because the truth of the matter is we could be for here for hours talking about all of the blessings that God's word promises and describes for those who actually hear and obey what his word says. And so rather than trying to spell out for you all the blessings that are described in this verse, I'll just say this. Do you want God to look down at your life and add his favor to it? That's what blessings are. They're the favor of God poured out on a person's life. Do you want the favor of God on your spiritual life? Do you want the favor of God in the things that you do with your life? Then be someone who puts the word of God into practice. Don't fool yourself into believing that knowing God's word is enough. God blesses the one who does his word. Now, all of this is a faith response. Faith is believing what God says before you actually have the evidence for it. You believe God's word on faith, you act accordingly, and then God gives the result. And that's how you got saved. The salvation that you have is that you believe the gospel, that Christ died for your sins, and that if you trust him, your sins will be forgiven, and you'll be enter into his kingdom at the end of the age and when your life on this earth is over. But we, don't, we haven't seen that yet. We haven't seen the payoff yet, but we believe it by faith. And the truth is that every part of the Christian life proceeds by faith as well, including this. Although God calls us and God commands us to do works of obedience in response to his word, we do it in faith. We're not trying to earn favor with God or impress God with our efforts. We're believing his promises, believing his truth because we have faith in him. And so coming then to the main point of today's message, the big idea, the thing that ties this all together with our series called Intentional Acts of Faith. To receive God's blessing in your life, obey God's word as an intentional act of faith. That's the point of this. If you want to know the blessing of God in your life, if you want to see him work in your life to reach people for Jesus, if you want to see him grow your faith, then put God's word into practice intentionally because you believe what he has to say, because you believe his word. And if you're not a Christian, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, whether you're in person this morning or watching online, Faith is where your journey with God begins. It begins by believing that God doesn't want you to earn his favor and that, in fact, you can't earn his favor, but rather you want to receive the free gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ by faith. And if you've never trusted Christ, we would love to show you more specifically what that means. It's not the point of this message, but it's the purpose of all of our preaching to point people to Jesus Christ in their need of salvation. For those of us who have come to know Jesus Christ, are we fooling ourselves? Do we think because we made a profession of faith, because we've been baptized, because we own a Bible, because we're members of a church, because we do certain things that are associated with the Word of God, do we think that we are growing in our faith, that we're godly Christians, or even that we're Christians at all? God says, 
We need to put his word into practice. We need to show the life that we have within by the growth that we have in our life without taking God's word, being changed by it, and obeying. This is an intentional act of faith.